Last week, Sister Leanne Alexander spoke, and uh, the week before that, I was uh, doing this series, If God is for us, we'll continue on, and I tried to get to two verses, because we're kind of going through Romans chapter 8 is what we're doing, and I only got to one, so we'll see if I can't get two verses done tonight so I can be done with this series before 2028 or so. Uh, but Romans 8.10 is kind of where we'll start, and we'll bounce off of that, but gives us a starting place. And if Christ be in you, the word if, if Christ be in you, the body's dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. There is something called the placebo effect. You may have heard about this before, but it's a, they have done controlled studies where they put one group over here and one group over here, and they'll give this group a new medication or something, and they'll give this other group a placebo, or they'll give them a sugar pill, they would call it, and then they see what's going on. And it's, I guess it's funny. I don't know if it is or not, but sometimes the people in the controlled group said, oh, this medicine's affecting me. Oh, I just feel, I feel faint. I feel, they go all through the, all these symptoms and it's nothing. There's nothing in there to harm them or hurt them, but their brain is telling them that something's deadly in there. And it's just, it's just doing all kinds of stuff to them. That's kind of how they re do a lot of research. But nowadays, if you're in the hospital and you have some severe pain and you have something called morphine and you have a morphine pump, there's a little button. Why do they give you that button? so that you can inject that morphine when you start feeling bad. However, what they don't tell you is it's still limited. There's only a certain amount of morphine that you, or it would kill you. So there's only a certain amount you can get, but people with the placebo effect, now I'm ruining it all for you if you go in the hospital, but the placebo effect is, boy, I'm really hurting. And you push that button and you push that button and you feel, you literally, your brain and your body can feel better because of this placebo effect. It's the power of thinking, the power of thought, the power of, of how you do it. Matter of fact, get really out there. If you take a pill and you think this is the dumbest thing, this pill will never work. It's not going to work nearly as good as if you take a pill and said, this pill is going to, this is a great pill. This is going to work. Because your brain does something and interacts with your body and it, and, it, and it does things to you. And so this is the placebo effect. And we're talking about, in some ways, this idea of how we think about certain things. Henry Ford, not a great theologian, but anyway, he did say this. He said, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. Simple, succinct, but I think it's true. If I think I can't do something, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure, and I'll, I'll tell myself enough times that I can't do it, I'm sure to fail at that. But if I can tell myself I can do this, he probably didn't know how scriptural he was where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not about me in this case. We're not trying to talk a you know, uh, humanistic approach in any way whatsoever, but I can do all things through Christ because he's the one that gives me strength. He's the one that gives me glory. He's, I can live for Jesus Christ because he gives me the strength. I can be an overcomer because he's going to help me. I can do these things. It's setting our mind to it because again, I, I, I'm going to stretch this a little bit, but the mind really doesn't know the difference between what is real and what's imagined. 
especially children. You get a lot of children. Now, many times they will come to you and they'll talk about a dog that was in their room. And in their little minds, if it was a dream, they really can't tell if it was a dream, if it was real or not. They're not lying to you. They really think the dog was in their room because it was real to them. But in reality, it's a little bit different. But as we grow, our brain still, how can I word this in a fast way? But it's, it's, we're not separated from our brain. But there's something about that because what is real and what is imagined, which is why this idea of as if is so full of potential and so powerful. So this idea, and you're looking at these certain things, says, I will pray as if Jesus is standing right here. That's a different type of praying. I'll believe as if it's already done. And that's faith. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned that God told Jeremiah, say not that you're a child. And I briefly touched on this, these ideas of a say not list, things that we ought not say, things that we ought not believe or things that we ought not utter, things that come out of our mouth. Uh, You know, I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough or I can't do that or I can't do that. And, And we can say that all about ourselves that we want. The reality is this. Yes, we are indeed a sinner in need of a savior, but you also The Bible tells us we are more than a conqueror. That's what the word says to us. So we're speaking and thinking and acting as if we have conquered and even more so that we're more than a conqueror. Is that what you're living? That's what the word tells to us. So acting as if it is easier said, it's easier said than done, absolutely. But it is the definition of faith Do we believe what God has said or don't we? If he says you are more than a conqueror, do you believe that or not? Then live as if you're more than a conqueror. That's what he has said about you. We can say, I feel like a failure. I feel like this. I think like this, whatever. But then I have to put it in, uh, put it in context with the word of God. Which is it? Am I a failure or am I more than a conqueror? Whose word do you listen to? Your friends, your own, or do you listen to the word of God? If you believe the enemy's lies, you're in trouble. <laughs> if you believe who you are, who God says you are, if you speak and live and believe what God says about you, it's going to get you out of trouble and keep you out of trouble. This is so, sometimes folks, we get in this rut of these things and this, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't. You are going in direct violation of the word of God because the Bible says you can. Are you getting this? Live as if the Bible's true. Well, why in the world would I do that? Because it is. Live as if God said those things. Well, how can I do that? Because God said those things. So how am I living? How am I thinking? What actions am I taking? I believe what he has said. Okay, if Jesus was dead and buried and remained there, we'd be living a lie. It's unnecessary to have church. But if Jesus did walk out of the tomb, 
under his own power, then powerful and miraculous things can happen. And we need to live like they can happen because it is true. How do you live? What do you think about? Are you more than a conqueror? Or are you just a sinner who will never make it? One is the way you're thinking, and the other way is what the Word of God proclaims about you. Who are you going to believe? When you're in trouble, take heart. He said, I've overcome the world. When you're lonely, don't forget. He said, I'll never leave or forsake you. When you feel like you've lost your way, remember, he said, I'll order your footsteps. I'll direct your steps in your path. Living like you believe that. Living as if that is true because why? It is. Well, man, this can't get any more simple. No, it really can't. But I wonder how many times we run ourselves ragged because we simply don't live as if it's true. I ask you, do you believe the word of God? Yes, I believe it's in here in the word of God. I believe it's forever said. I believe these heaven and earth shall pass away. My words shall never pass away. We can quote all the scripture. We'll say all these things. Do we live it? What has he said? Do we live it? These simple phrases, that, that simple phrase, as if, living as if. It really packs a punch, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I'm going to read some, um, some what people have said about this, but I want you to hear this for a moment. Listen to some of these quotes. St. Augustine said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. God can't love you anymore. He can't love you any less. He loves you unconditionally. I ask you, do you live like that? You need to live like you are the beloved of God. Just, you need to live like that. We need to live as if he really, really, really loves us. Why? Because he does. I mean, this is the most simplistic thing in the world, but I promise you, if we could get some of this stuff in our gut, we'll live completely differently. As if God loves us. Why can I live that way? Because he does. Albert Einstein said there are only two ways to live your life. One is as if nothing's a miracle. The other is as if everything is. So how are you living your life? Either way you live as if. As if nothing's a miracle or as if everything's a miracle. But when you live as if everything's a miracle you suddenly discover there are miracles all around you all the time. Well, I've never seen a miracle. Yes, you have. You're just not living as if you have experienced one. Have you ever seen a sunset? He spoke the worlds into existence. That's a miracle, and you see it every day. Well, it's just a sunset. It's a miracle! Do you see me in this pulpit? Ladies, I can't even tell you the miracle this is. I've never seen a miracle. Ye Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you. Are you sitting in the sanctuary? This is a miracle. 
This should have never, I could tell you the story after story. I could tell it, this is a miracle. Have you seen a flower? It's a miracle. Have you seen a baby? It's a miracle. Don't tell me there's not miracles. We're just not living as if there are miracles. But there are miracles everywhere around us. Mahatma Gandhi said, live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were to live forever. Do you live like that? I remember the people sometimes are like, you know, the rapture of the church. I don't know. You know, we've heard it for so long on the rapture of the church. All the stuff where the Jesus comes. You know, again, it's one of those things. Whether he comes collectively or he comes individually, at some point he's going to come for you. Well, I just don't think the rapture of the church can happen because this, this, and that has to happen. Fine, but he may come for you tonight. Boy, I ruined your night, didn't I? As if. Live as if. He's coming for you any second. But work and learn as if you're going to live forever. Augustine of Hippo may have said it first. They're not sure who to attribute to, but pray as if everything depended on God and work as if everything depended on you. Are you living this way? Thomas Jefferson said, when you do a thing, act as if the whole world is watching you. I bet I'd run my mouth less. I bet some things in my life would change if I thought everybody in this church would know what I just said or what I just did as if everybody's watching me. You're like, well, yeah. We'll get there in a moment, but he's always watching. He's always watching us. William James, he was the first educator to offer a course in psychology, said, if you want equality, act as if you already had it. Also, act as if what you do makes a difference because it does. What quality do you want? Well, I desire to just be a powerful prayer warrior. Then act like a powerful prayer warrior, and guess what you'll be? A powerful prayer warrior. Act as if you're already there, and you'll be there. I know these aren't from the Bible, but I'm trying to help you understand that if we live as if Christ is in us, like Romans 8:10, our starter verse says, we're going to act, we're going to talk, we're going to react, we're going to live. We're just going to be totally different in every area of our life, as if Christ is in us because he is. We aren't playing for ourselves anymore. We aren't living to lift up ourselves. We aren't working to impress others. We live for the applause of the nail-scarred hands. We long to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Live as if Christ is in us. Why? Because he is. I'm going to read this statement. I'm going to read it twice, okay? See if you agree with this statement. The more you care about what people think, the less you really care about them. Here it goes again. The more you care about what people think, the less you really care about them. So let me spin it out just a little bit. You may not tell them what they need to hear because you're more concerned that they like you 
than what they need to hear because you care what they think about you. <laughs> so we'll go to parenting class. You ready? Hang on. My mom would say things like, I'm not up for re-election. You can't vote me out. You don't. The point being, are we to provoke our kids to wrath? No, we're not to make people mad. However, let me use me in, in this situation. If I was so concerned and cared so much what everybody thought about me, I promise you what we'd have in this is group therapy all the time. And when you left, you'd be like, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a conqueror. I can do all things. You'd be puffed up. But there are times because I do care about you, I'm going to say, keep that up and you'll go straight to hell. Well, that ain't going to win your re-election. Do I care or don't I care? That's the difference we have to understand. How much do you care about what they think about you or how much do you care for them? There's a huge difference here. You can please all the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. But really, that can't be our goal. We live to please God. If you like me when I please God, that's an added bonus to me. But if you don't like me when I live to please God, well, that's how it is. The apostle said, it's better for us to obey God than man. It's why I want to please him. The, 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 it should not be our goal to please everyone around us, nor should it be, again, let me put this in balance. Just a little. It's not, not our goal to make everybody mad either. You understand that. We've got to be Christians. But we live to please God alone. If my lifestyle of what I do or don't do convicts somebody else and they don't like me, all I can say is I'm sorry. I'm not changing. I live to please him. I want to be pleasing to him. If you like me, uh, again, uh, what I do or what I say, again, I, I want to be pleasing. I hope you're not misunderstanding what I'm saying. I want to be loving, I want to be truthful and be kind and all these things. But I'm not working even though, yes, well, brother, man, you've got to be careful because we voted you and we can vote you out. Yes, you can. But if that's how I pastor this church, depending on if I'm scared of a vote or not, I'm not going to be able to be pastor very good. But if I compare, well, I still may not. But the point being, but if I pastor this church according to how he wants me to do it, then if you all vote me out, so be it. Do you understand what I'm saying here? We live to please him. We live to serve him. We live to follow him and he alone. The day you put your faith in Jesus, the day you were born again of water and spirit is the day you died to self. Let me read that verse again. And we started with Romans 8.10. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. Your desires and your dreams and your plans are dead in the water, literally. The person who goes under the water is not the same that came out of that water. You're a new creation in Christ. 
And of course, we understand we've got to be intentional about this stuff. We've got to make a conscious effort. You have to step into this identity as a da- on a daily basis. 1 Corinthians 15, 31 says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul said, I die daily. You live as if Christ was crucified yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is coming back tomorrow. It has to be that fresh and that vivid, that intense in your mind. They asked me to record, I don't remember who it was for, something over at headquarters anyway. They came to the church and said, can you just do a little two-minute thing about uh, your, your new birth experience? And I was a little boy, and I was talking about this and stuff. And I was just talking. I said, yeah, it happened like 41 years ago. It's a little church there in Orange and Franklin Street in Payne. And I was down there repenting. And I just, I remember my sister, one of my sisters was praying with me and a friend. And I just resolutely I just looked up and I just said, I'm going to go get baptized. And they just kind of stared at me like, wow, okay. So, you know, I've been raised in church. I knew what it was all about. Went and got baptized. And so I was talking about getting in that old cinder block, uh, baptismal tank, freezing cold water. And I remember there, and, I, and so the, my pastor said, in Jesus' name, and dunked me under and baptized me in Jesus' name. Well, I'm trying to tell the story. And all those emotions and all feelings start coming back of what happened in that tank. He took my sins away. And I remember coming up out of that water. I didn't feel cold water. I didn't feel, I didn't see people around me. I just remember I felt as warm as if the warmest blanket was around me because it was his love that surrounded me. And, And I got emotional the same I am now thinking that he took my place and I am a new creation in Christ because of that. I never want that to get old. What he did for me. So can I say the first part of Romans 8.10 again? And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. Of course you have to do this intentionally. We understand all those things. But you live every day for Jesus because You live as if the body is dead to sin. Why? Because it is. If he lives in you. A German poet poet said, treat a man as he is and he will remain as he is. Treat a man as he can be and should be and he will become as he can be and should be. Think of that. And no one modeled that better than Jesus. How did the Pharisees treat people as sinners? I thank God I'm not as a slowly sinner here. Praying on street corners. you got to be kidding me. This lowly sinner over here. See that guy? Oh, despicable. And that's how they treated people. And the Pharisees did that. The sinners and the sick and the poor and the outcast. Jesus treated people as they could be. Even look at some of the nicknames. Peter was impulsive. He was rash. He was sometimes reckless. He was just running his mouth. He was doing all this stuff, drawing swords and slinging all this stuff. And Jesus called him Rock. (laughs) That's a weird nickname for that guy. He doesn't look, but Jesus saw something in him that maybe you and I would have never seen. And you're stable, Peter. I know it's in there. You're consistent. You're firm. Something's down on the inside of you. Remember James and John? They were mama boys. <laughs> she come up. Hey, see these cute little boys? Can they sit on your right hand and left? 
Mama's fighting for getting them in the, in the kingdom for them. What did Jesus call them? Sons of thunder! As long as mom's here. <laughs> really? No, sons of thunder. Jesus saw who they could become and treated them as if they were. At some point in our lives, we all have someone who believed in us more than we believed in ourselves, and thank God for that. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus does. I, I want you to think about this. All right, I'm going to push you just a little bit. But the faith the disciples put in Jesus isn't, my apologies to the disciples, but isn't really that remarkable. They walked with him. They, heard, they watched him touch people. They watched them get up. They watched dead people come up and breath come back. They watched all this stuff. So, man, if I saw that, I have all kinds of faith too. And they did, and rightly so. It's not that remarkable that, to me that they had a lot of faith in Jesus. He was right there with them. What is remarkable is the faith Jesus put in the disciples. And the faith he puts in you. He has commissioned you to carry his message to the world. Well, we could really mess it up. We could. But he has chosen you to do that. That's a lot of faith he's put in you. Let's go back to parenting class for a moment. Parents, if all you ever do is point out what your kids do wrong, you'll probably see more of the same. Learned helplessness is a losing battle. Why try? All kinds of things. Kids need more compliments than criticisms. And so do adults. Remember we talked a, week, a couple weeks ago about the Lucero principle or the ratio, the three to one, three compliments to at least one negative thing that you have to say to somebody. Now, let's, let's, let's look at this. I'm going somewhere, but let's look at this. Jesus definitely put his disciples in their place when necessary. Like the time Peter was just as sincere as could be, Lord forbid that that would happen to you. Get behind me, Satan. That'd be a nice one. You come up to Brother Bland, I really feel like the Lord. Get behind me, Satan. How about me tell you that? How about Jesus tell you that? Wow. But the reason I think he could say that, because he's God, he can do what he wants, but understand besides that, it was his constant affirmation that opened the door to an occasional exhortation. Again, we're not going to get into relationships, but that's how healthy relationships are, and that's how they grow, and they require a high dosage of both grace and truth. Is Skyler in here? No, and I won't tell you what I've said, but I have said things... I have said things to him before that I knew beyond a shadow hurt his feelings so bad. Well, why in the world you did it? Because it was for his good. I wasn't being mean. I wasn't, well, how in the world is he still even like you? Because hopefully in my life, I have balanced that greatly with telling him 
compliments and given him more things than I have to exhort him about. So when we look at this in a spiritual sense, grace means I'll love you no matter what. Truth says I'll be honest no matter what. Those are hard to put together sometimes. But Romans 8.10 says, And if Christ be in you, the, de- the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. He in us is what Jesus was. He was full of grace and truth. Live like Jesus, absolutely. Live as if Christ is in you, yes, because he is. But there's times we must understand we act like Jesus. We act like him. Even when it's not the easiest things to do, even when it's not the, the, the uh, uh, politically correct thing to do, I still live like Jesus. It may hurt sometimes, but it comes hopefully from a place of care and concern and, and love. Romans 8.12 is another verse we're going to look at tonight as we turn a, turn a small corner here. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Okay, remember this verse. We're going to jump into this verse and hopefully it tie this stuff back together for us in just a moment. The year was 1675. The Archbishop of Canterbury was acquainted with an actor named Mr. Butterton. One day the Archbishop said to Butterton, Tell me, Mr. Butterton who was the actor, what is the reason you actors on stage can affect your congregations with the speaking of things imaginary as if they were real while we in the church speak of things that are real which our congregations only receive as if they were imaginary? Why, my Lord, said Mr. Butterton. The reason is very plain. We actors on stage speak of things imaginary as if they were real. And you in the pulpit speak of things real as if they were imaginary. Are you tired of hearing that Jesus can wash your sins away? Is it just old hat to you? Are you tired of hearing if God is for us, who can be against us? Or is that just another verse? I'll never leave or forsake you. Ye shall receive power. Ask and ye shall receive. There is therefore now no condemnation. Are those just verses? Or do you believe that? Have we just heard it for so long or we just pretend to believe it? Romans 8, 12, the verse we're looking at now. Therefore, brethren, it begins with the word therefore. Therefore is where as if begins. It's like this, can I say this, one word manifesto. It's this God-ordained passion. It's a God-given dream. Therefore, I will. Therefore, we can. It's this resoluteness. It's this, I've made my mind up because of this. Therefore, I'll do this. So I ask you tonight, what is your Therefore, and I know that's an odd question, and it's sometimes impossible to even predict when or where therefore will be revealed in your life. 
But many marvelous things begins with a therefore. Therefore involves just that throwing down the gauntlet and saying, we're going to do this. Therefore, we're going to do this. Because the Lord is on our side, therefore we're going to march forward. Because Jesus said this, therefore I'm going to act that way. It's what we're doing. It's what we're doing. It is the final choice. It's the final decision. And there are, they would say, I didn't research this all, but 1,220 therefores in Scripture. And you've heard before, if you see a therefore in the Word of God, ask what it is there for. So this first therefore that we're talking about in Romans that we're looking at is possibly one of the most significant connection clauses in all of Romans. It's not the only one because, listen, follow along as I go through this. The first 11 verses of chapter 8 that we're looking at is a course of what God has done, what God has done for us. Let's look at quickly the, the media if you want to bounce through these with us. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there's now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to be condemned because he did something for us is what we're looking at. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of Christ, of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free. That's what he did for me. The law of sin and death. Verse 3. Part of that says God sinning his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Consent condemns sin in the flesh. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the spirit, but after the flesh. Part of verse 6 says, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 9, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that God, that's the spirit of God dwell in you. Verse 10, and if Christ be in you, we just looked at, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And then the verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. All of those 11 verses are saying things that God did for us. Now we get to verse 12 and it says, therefore, because of all of that, because he sent his son, because he doesn't condemn, because he's made a way, because he has empowered us, therefore, verse 12, Brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. That word debtors simply means we, we owe a debt. We are obligated. Ooh, obligation, that's not a good word, is it? But in this case, follow along, our greatest obligation doubles as our greatest opportunity. Surrendering our lives to Jesus. Can you think of a greater privilege than being used for God's eternal purpose? Can you think of anything more wonderful than to live as if that's true, to live on this earth, to fulfill God's will on this earth through us? Can you think of anything more wonderful? Or don't we believe that anymore? We don't live as if that's true any longer. This obligation means to be legally or morally bound. The best picture we can probably find is maybe in marriage. They come of their own accord. 
And they come up here in front of me in this altar, usually on the platform. And I'll ask them certain things and they with a smile and joy in their voice will say, I do. You have just obligated yourself, greatly obligated yourself. But I have never seen anyone enter into that obligation with anything less than joyful anticipation. Maybe we forget of what it was like and how it felt to be a sinner far from God when we entered that covenant with him. Because you have to understand, when we enter that type of relationship with God, we tend to focus on the fact that now we are legally, we could say, or morally bound to God. And, oh, man, we got to go to church. More of this, you can't do that. And you can't do that. What do you guys do for fun? You hear all these things all the time. It's just like, come on now. So that's what we feel we are just obligated. But my obligation to him, therefore, but you have to understand, God is also obligated and bound to us. We are in covenant. The gospel demands that we give all of ourselves to God, absolutely. But when we do, he gives all of himself to us. There is a reality show, I don't know what it is, it's called Barter Kings, I've never heard of it, but I have heard of this incident where you barter for things, and there was a guy named Kyle McDonald. He started with one red paper clip, you may have read the story, and he bartered for something, and eventually bartered for a broken bicycle, and he bartered for an old air compressor or something. He eventually bar bartered up, he had no money, he bartered up to all these things, and he got the, from a paper clip to a two-story farmhouse in Kipling, Saskatchewan. The art of negotiation, whatever, my goodness. Unbelievable. That is completely crazy. But not as crazy as the gospel. Jesus, who had no sin, took our sin paid the price so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You trade all of your sin for all of my righteousness. And he says, we'll just call it even. You'll never get a better deal. You'll never get a better barter. The trade-off is giving full veto power to Jesus. But once again, that is a great obligation because he only has our well-being in mind he'll take you places you could have never been on your own he'll set up divine appointments with people you can't meet on your own he'll do things in you and through you that are impossible and that's what the trade-off is i choose to trade that off i choose to give him all of that and to take what he has in his righteousness. I heard of a man who, who wanted someone to pray for him. And this, this was his request. He said, pray that I don't let fear dictate my decisions. That's a decent prayer. So then again, I'm going to ask you another question. What dictates your decisions? 
Think about that. When you make a decision, we're going all through this as if Christ lives in us. We're going all through this as these things, therefore, because of all he's done, we're obligated to him. So then, because he saved us, because he redeemed us, because of that great exchange and that obligation, what should dictate your decisions and your choices in your life? Should it be Jesus? Should it be his word? Should it be what he has done for us in that great exchange? But so many times, we let so many other things dictate our lives. The Bible talks about seven sins that are identified as deadly. Pride, greed, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth. Every one of these can be a dictator in your life. Do you make decisions out of pride? Do you make decisions out of greed or envy or anger? These sins will dictate your life. They'll dictate your decisions. I, I'm going to pause here for just about five seconds and be real quiet, but I want you to process this for a minute. What are some of the decisions you have made in your life? What drove that decision? I have a lot to think about. What drove that decision? Why'd you make that choice? And I will submit to you the only way to dethrone those things that dictate and, and make our decisions almost for us is by overthrowing that by enthroning Jesus in every area of your life. We are indebted to him. We are obligated. If Christ lives in you, if he doesn't, I guess you can do what you want. But if Christ lives in you, the trade-off is I give complete surrender to him. I give total, I give total lordship and control of my life. So then again, what dictator is in my life that I need to overthrow? Is it that I, I need to be liked? Is it that I, I'm envious of things? Is it because I have a lust for something? Is it because of pride? What is causing me to make certain decisions? I'm pushing hard on you because we live for the applause of one and he should be the only driving force that may, helps us make decisions. Well, Blaine, what are you talking about? Whether to buy 2% milk or skim milk? Possibly. <laughs> Whatever decision. It doesn't matter what it is. Does this decision please him? Folks, I, again, I don't want to be too harsh, but you're going to have to understand here, and I, I'm not trying to insult your intelligent, intelligence. He took your sins away. He has given you precious promises. He has promised so many wonderful things, joy and peace and strength and help in time of trouble. All of these wonderful things in his, in his word are for you. So live like you want. Make decisions, whatever you want, whatever pleases you. 
I have to say, that is an insult to God. He took all of that and what dictates my life. So I simply ask again, who rules and reigns in your life? Live as if Christ lives in you. And if he does, the flesh is dead. He rules my life. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. It's your reasonable service. That's true and proper worship to him. What if you stop letting fear or some deadly sin or some other thing not of God dictate your decisions and you start living as if Christ lived in you? Because he does. What a difference and how different would we live? Again, the trade-off is he's committed to us also. And all of his righteousness now becomes mine. What a great exchange. End it with a slide. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God lives in you, what a tremendous thing we get to work in his kingdom and he will use us to fulfill his will in this earth. If God is in us, then we're obligated to him, but he's obligated to us. Would you stand with me in this place? Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help us to understand who you are and what you truly have done for us. Lord, it is impossible to overstate what happened on Calvary and that you took our sins and that you nailed them to that cross, Jesus. I want to present myself as a living sacrifice to you. Lord, I want to, I want to do what I can for your kingdom because of what you've done for me. Direct our steps, direct our paths, Jesus. We are debtors. We truly are debtors. We are obligated, Lord, to you. We're in covenant with you, which makes you in covenant with us. What a glorious thing that is, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to grasp some of these concepts from your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to live every single day as if you live in us because you truly do. You have redeemed us and changed us and saved us, and we're thankful for that. We're a new creation in you, and we want to live that way. Lord, help us not let other things dictate decisions and our choices and how we act and what we do, but I pray that you would reign and rule complete in our hearts and our lives to where we ultimately, we please you, Lord. Jesus, we want to see you. We love you so much, and we cannot wait to be home with you forever. Bless each one of us, I pray this evening. Keep us in your love and care, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great evening.